Welcome to the Urban Grace Weekly Podcast. Urban Grace is an inclusive ecumenical church in the heart of downtown Tacoma, Washington, that seeks to be a spiritual home for folks from all sorts of backgrounds. Come check us out Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the corner of 9th and Market. And of course, there are more details at urbangrace.org. Today's scripture is Deuteronomy 26, 1 to 12. Once you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and are settled there, take some of the early produce from the fertile ground you have harvested from the land the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket. Then go to the location the Lord your God selects for his name to reside. Go to the priest who is in that office at that time and say to him, I am declaring right now before the Lord my God that I have indeed arrived in the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest will then take the basket from you and place it before the Lord your God's altar. Then you should solemnly state before the Lord your God. My father was a starving Aramean. He went down to England, living Egypt, <laughs> Egypt, living as an immigrant there with few family members. But that is where he became a great nation, mighty and numerous. The Egyptians treated us terribly, oppressing us and forcing hard labor on us. So we cried out for help to the Lord, our ancestors, God. The Lord heard our call. God saw our misery, our trouble, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with strong hand and outstretched arm and awesome power and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land full of milk and honey. So now I am bringing the early produce of the fertile ground that you, Lord, have given me. Set the produce before the Lord your God, bowing down before the Lord your God. Then celebrate all the good things the Lord your God has done for you and your family. Each one of you, along with the Levites and the immigrants who are among you. When you have finished paying the entire tenth part of your produce on the third year, that is the year for paying the tenth part, you will give it to the Levites, the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows, so they can eat in your cities until they are full. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give thanks for your presence that fills the whole world. We pray that we will experience that presence now, and through your presence, your word will come alive in our lives. Amen. When I was a kid, my sisters and I used to ask our parents to tell us stories. But there were some stories in particular that we liked better than others. Our favorite was the story of how my parents met. They were on a double date, but like not with one another. Yeah, and 
And once they met, nothing was the same again. Two months later, they were engaged. Yeah, right? And we love to hear this story in part so we could tell our parents, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to meet someone and get engaged eight weeks later. <laughs> but we also loved it because it felt like an origin story. The, the story of how our family started, the, the story of who we were. And I'm sure that we all have similar stories or very different stories, but stories that shape our identity and purpose. Because stories have incredible power in our lives. And it's no accident that the Bible is a book of stories. It's actually, the Bible is like a story about telling stories. Because the characters are constantly, they, they find faith to retelling the stories of their ancestors. And, and God even instructs them, tell these stories again and again. And that's really clear uh, in the laws about how the Israelites bring their gifts and their offerings to the temple. The instructions from Deuteronomy, uh, they're actually, it's about, the, we read 12 verses. And there are four verses that explain, you know, how much to give and where to give and who to give it to. But that's just four verses, or maybe five. The other seven provide a script of what every person is supposed to say before they give. My father was a wandering Armenian. Our ancestors were oppressed. God delivered us. So now I give thanks and share what I have. Every year when the Israelites brought their gifts, they recited the history of their people. A lot like how we tell our stories again and again. They, they recite to the story to remember where they came from, like to remember their wounds, to remember who they're called to be in community with, and to remember why they gave. And we do something similar here. We begin our, our stewardship season uh, not with instructions on how we're supposed to give or trite verses on how God loves a cheerful giver. Instead, we retell the story of how our church began. And our story begins with an acknowledgement that the land that our church sits on is a Puyallup tribe's ancestral land. In 1864, the U.S. Congress gave uh, the northern, or gave the tribe's land to the Northern Pacific Railroad so they could build a railroad from Minneapolis to Tacoma. And as the railroad was being constructed about 10 years beforehand, the Northern Pacific gave land to white settlers who would build the city of Tacoma. And that included two plots on the corner of Ninth and Market that were donated uh, for a, the First Baptist Church of New Tacoma in the territory of Washington uh, to Reverend Joseph Beaven. And, and that summer of 1883, uh, the first church building was built on the corner of Ninth and Market. And pretty much right after that point, First Baptist took off. Uh, 
it was growing so rapidly that 10 years later, they built a new building that could seat 500 people. And, and this period, as I, I reread all of our history this week, uh, there were some highlights. One thing that was really encouraging is that uh, they provided housing for poor Japanese immigrants. I also found some lowlights, like the brief tenure of Reverend Harriman, who, according to our history, caused many months of troubles and vexation. If you want to know what troubles and vexation are, uh, it's a plan called the first tithing venture where the pastor gets to keep all the money that the church doesn't spend. <laughs> yeah, they fired him and stripped him of his ordination and the church didn't miss a, miss a beat. By the 1920s, there were almost 800 members and 600 kids in Sunday school. So in, I think it was 1923, First Baptist Church launched a capital campaign to build a new building that could accommodate the growing membership. So after, in 1925, they built a 40,000 square foot neo-Gothic church with 53 rooms that would seat 1,200 people that would be able to function both as a church but also as a theater. It's the building that we sit in today. And over the next decade, First Baptist would be pretty much the town in downtown, the church in downtown Tacoma with 2,400 members. Things uh, sort of went up and down a bit through the 40s and 50s as the church grew and then it shrank and it struggled a lot with the debt that it had incurred. But there was, again, a period of prosperity in the 1960s. And I like this period because it's when we start to see familiar faces in our historic photos, like this one, uh, starring Don Summers eh, and uh, Doris and Paul Krillich. Or perhaps this sharp-looking choir with uh, Ray and Charlotte. There, if we go to the next one, I zoomed in. There we go. There's Ray and Charlotte, right? <laughs> and this period in the 1960s is also when Willie and Faye Stewart desegregated First Baptist Church by joining in 1963. Last spring, Willie told me as I was talking to him about this period that uh, I grew up in a segregated community and a segregated church. And I felt Christ is not restricted to colors and groups. So I wanted to join a mainstream church. And I always wanted to be in a downtown community. And as many of you know, Willie became a pioneer of civil rights in Tacoma, serving as the first African-American principal, assistant superintendent, and school board member. And before long, First Baptist elected Willie as the moderator of the congregation, which, again, was a bold step and a sign of racial progress in the church. But despite all this progress, downtown was changing. And I want to uh, spend a few minutes explaining why. After World War II, there was a huge group of soldiers returning to America who wanted to start families. And by and large, the soldiers had saved up some money 
and the government provided incentives for veterans to buy homes. But there weren't actually many houses, or there wasn't much housing in traditional urban cores like downtown Tacoma. So developers built new houses out in the suburbs. And, and the construction of the suburbs wasn't bad at all, except for two things. First, that many, if not most, suburban communities had regulations that prevented people of color from moving there. And this was reinforced by the government's discriminatory lending policies that made it extremely difficult for people of color to live anywhere except particular neighborhoods that were usually downtown. This is called redlining, and this is a map of Tacoma. The red areas were the neighborhoods that were welcome to people of color, immigrants, and Jewish people. So that created the first obstacle, and then it was compounded uh, when, because when people left for the suburbs, they no longer paid taxes to the cities. They were separate tax entities. And without that tax revenue, cities like Tacoma were no longer able to provide adequate services like police and fire department and education. And when our cities deteriorated, this drove more folks to the suburbs, which made the problems worse. And again, because of the discriminatory policies, people were, of color were excluded from this trend, and this became known as white flight. And, and we tell this because it's a part of the story of our city, and it's also a part of the story of our churches. Because as middle class white people left for the suburbs, the churches left too. Like all over America, Churches abandoned downtowns, and the ones that stayed usually died. And even a historic church like First Baptist wasn't immune. Despite being having membership in the thousands in the 50s and 60s, by 1978, membership was at 425, and only about half that many were actually at church on Sunday. So First Baptist had a decision to make. Would they move out to the suburbs where they could become a thriving church again? Or would they stay in a dying downtown? It, it was a, a serious consideration. And in 1978, the church brought, uh, bought a plot of land that they called the New Horizons property and began to explore the possibility of moving to the suburbs. Downtown Tacoma's outlook looked bleak, and it told one story, but the history of the church told another. Throughout her history, First Baptist Church had adapted to serve the needs of the neighborhood. When the city boomed in the early 20th century, and needed a church that could function as a theater and a hub for the community, and that's what they built. And now that the, everyone was leaving, the neighborhood needed someone to stay. The neighborhood needed to know that they still mattered, despite the poverty, the gangs, and the crumbling infrastructure. So First Baptist let the story of their past shaped their future, and they decided to stay downtown. 
this article from October 27th, 1979, which is 40 years and two weeks ago. In it, the, the Tacoma News Tribune uh, wrote this article with a headline, First Baptist Decides to Stay. The article begins, a great challenge faces the members of Tacoma's historic First Baptist Church, which has decided against following other mainline Protestant churches in a flight to the suburbs. The decision raises the question of whether First Baptist can effectively minister to the inner city. At stake is the church's survival. The article then goes on to quote the pastor who admits that when churches move to the suburbs, they're successful. And when churches stay downtown, they usually die. But First Baptist ministry was downtown. The article then goes on to cite the leadership of the president of the congregation, Willie Stewart, and the church's simple belief that Tacoma needs a downtown church, and we are here. And if this were the kind of story that we see on like a, a made-for-TV movie, this right here, this would be the turning point. You know, the one where the, the faithful servants are rewarded, where First Baptist beats the odds. We'd hear about the successful plan to turn the building into a community center with counseling services and, uh, and cultural events, just like the article here outlines. But that's not how this story goes. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Tacoma gained a national reputation for gang violence. And, and many who lived in downtown Tacoma struggled. And, and First Baptist struggled right along with them. First, actually, at the time, First Baptist was the only Protestant church remaining in the downtown core. And, and out in the suburbs, things were going great. But the Baptists went from 40 to 75. And by the early 2000s, First Baptist Church was down to about 40. The church was slowly dying. But it was a beautiful and holy death. And as the neighborhood changed, so did the church. In 1998, First Baptist started serving a weekly breakfast of eggs and sausage and toast and grits and juice and coffee and potatoes. Within weeks, hundreds of people were coming for breakfast and conversation. The, the folks at First Baptist believed that, that God's presence had moved into the neighborhood. And as long as God was there, they would be too. So for years, a faithful group of folks, some of whom are still around, pitched in uh, to serve food to those in need and fixed broken heaters and windows and welcomed the neighborhood to be a part of their community. But, but still, this, this aging group of saints couldn't hang on forever. The finances were bleak, and by the early 2000s, it was clear that First Baptist would either have to close or move. And, and the sort of the cruel irony of this is that at the time, 
signs of life were just starting to appear downtown. And the church owned this beautiful 40,000 square foot building across the street from City Hall, which meant that the congregation could have sold the building and made enough to move out to the suburbs with a nice little endowment that would enable them to begin again. First Baptist could have survived, but that was not their story. In the face of like a seemingly impossible situation, they made a remarkable choice. They gave their church to the neighborhood. In 2004, First Baptist gathered a group of ministers from a variety of different backgrounds with the simple question of what does downtown Tacoma need in a church? The answer they came up with was an ecumenical church that would welcome all people. They envisioned a church where everyone was welcome, no matter their age, their race, their sexuality, their gender identity, or their church background. They envisioned a church for young families and working professionals and people experiencing homelessness and, and the remaining members of First Baptist, where everyone could worship together. They believed this, this new church could continue the ministries and relationships First Baptist had built while converting the building into the community center that the congregation had envisioned 30 years before when they had decided to stay downtown. They believed that that's what the neighborhood needed, so in 2005, Urban Grace was created as an independent ecumenical church. That was 14 years ago, and Urban Grace soon called its first pastor, Tad Monroe, who helped us become a home to folks from many different walks of life as we grew into a vibrant congregation. And, and since that time, we've just continued to grow. Folks who've felt like they didn't have a place in Christianity have found a home, and people's lives have been transformed. We, I think a lot of us, have found a community where everyone can be themselves and be loved and accepted, no matter what they're going through or where they're at. And that vision of a community center has come to life as 20 different community organizations and about a thousand people use the building every week. Nonprofits and ministries and arts organizations have found a home here in our building. I mean, I was thinking about this just last, in the, like the last week or so, we've had dance classes and therapy and music, a music recital two groups of people that are using different strategies to help people overcome addiction. There was yesterday a meeting of Christians and Buddhists learning about spirituality together. I mean, the breakfast happened this morning and that's just like what I thought of very briefly in my office this morning. And this place, this community, this story, this is the story that shapes us. The Israelites told their story every year. As they brought their gifts aloud, they said, my father was a wandering Aramean who was oppressed, but was liberated by God. And that story reminded them of their wounds. 
of their vulnerability and of their liberation. That, that, story, that story shaped them so that when they gave, they gave in a way that welcomed others into their story. At the conclusion of, that, of our scripture passage, God instructs the Israelites to give not only to the temple, but give to immigrants, orphans, and widows, and to invite them to their parties, to treat those on the margins with the same love and care they share for their own families. So the Israelites welcomed the outsider because their story was that of being a wandering outsider. They let their story shape their future. The stories of our past shape our future if we continue to retell them and see them as our own. And this morning we've shared our story and in the coming weeks and even just in a minute here, Mike will share more stories about our community, both where we've been and where we want to go together. We will talk about giving and community but for now, I invite you to simply receive this story as your own. Let the faithfulness of generations saturate your soul. Let it shape you so the story becomes your own. Because this is a story that's meant to be retold. It's a story of how a church became a gift to a community. And we want it to be your story too. Because we need you. We need one another so we can tell our story together. Amen.